This is Novel Marketing. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. I'm James L. Rubart. And this is the show for novelists who want to become best-selling authors. And in this episode, we are going to talk about a favorite subject for most people. We're going to talk about discipline. Uh... <laughs> well, Thomas, think about this. Think about this. We are already through the first quarter, and we are rapidly moving toward the finish of the first half of the year. And there is an ever so slight possibility that some of your goals, some of my goals, some of our listeners' goals and resolutions for 2017 have slipped into the abyss of busyness and distractions. I'm just saying it's a possibility, right? Yeah. Although I will say I was actually signing up for a gym membership today. It took me that long from the beginning (laughs) of the year. It's April now. And I was visiting two gyms today trying to figure out which one I wanted to sign up for. I recently moved and no longer have a free gym in my apartment. But uh, yeah, we're gonna we're not going to be talking about how to be a disciplined in terms of working out. We're going to talk about how to be disciplined in terms of marketing your book and just as importantly, writing your book. Because remember, the best marketing for book one is writing book two. And so there's very much a writing motivation and a marketing motivation to being disciplined because um, the authors who write fewer books make less money, all things being equal. So if you can be just more disciplined, if you can write better books faster, you are going to be more successful, better paid, and you'll reach more people with your stories. I like it. And so let's let's talk about it. It's, it's kind of that time where we can reevaluate and go, all right, first quarter, let's evaluate that. But then this, let's also plan for the rest of the year, right? So let's talk about how we're going to do that. That's right. We have 10 ways to help you be more disciplined. Uh, We're not looking for you to do all 10 of these ideas. If you want to, you're welcome to. But our hope is, is that one of these things can really help make the difference. Uh, And if you do two or three, it may completely change the way you approach your marketing and your writing. And the first method is what's called the Seinfeld calendar method. Thomas, you can't talk about Seinfeld. Were you, were you born when that show was on the air? When I was a small child, I remember it being on television. Um, okay. It was weird. I actually uh, saw like a rerun. I was in a hotel or something, and there was an yeah. actual television with actual like TV that you have to like be at a certain time and to watch, uh, which is just weird because I've never yeah, really right. had that. That's right. And there and it was Seinfeld was on the show and there was a a moment in the show where they were racing to get to a payphone to try to call somebody. Yeah. And I was just experiencing this like incredible culture shock of like, why just, why don't you just text them? (laughs) It's like, like the idea of not being in communication with someone for a whole day. Like there was a time when people lived and they had to set their plans and like if their plans went awry, they didn't know how to get a hold of somebody. Oh my gosh. I don't know how y'all people lived in like the stone ages and the 1980s. But anyway, so so, this isn't actually about the Seinfeld TV show. It's about Seinfeld, Jerry, the, the, the comedian. And he had this method of writing where he would get a calendar, an old paper calendar, and every day he would scratch an X on a day, and his goal was to connect as many days as possible. And what inspired him to use this method is that he's sitting in his house not wanting to write, and it's cold and it's raining, and he's just like, oh, I'd rather do anything than writing. He's just not feeling it. Yeah. And he looks out the window, and he sees these guys trudging to a construction yard, construction site, and they're out in the cold and the rain, and he, he realized... They're not feeling it either. These guys don't want to go to work. 
They're doing it because it's their job. Right. He's like, if they can have that much respect for building a building in Manhattan, I can have this much respect for my craft of writing. And so he started connecting days and he started connecting weeks. And, you know, after a few years of writing every day, he got pretty good at writing comedy. <laughs> He's one of the best paid uh, comedians in the world. And um, his method has been used by a lot of other people to stay motivated. And the longer of a streak you do, uh, the more motivating. And I will say, I used this method last year working out and I connected like 100 days of working out um, because of the Seinfeld calendar method. All right. Actually, with, with weighing myself, which is connected to it, where I had an app and it was like, you're on a streak. And it's like, you've weighed yourself 100 days in a row. Nice, nice. And I, was, I would do all kinds of things to not break the streak because the app would tell me once I'd broken it and I didn't want to break it. I love it. I love it. Uh, idea number two is um, not a new idea. It's been around, what, 5,000 years? <laughs> it's been around uh, for a while. It's been around for a while, yeah. And it's the idea of taking a Sabbath. In other words, taking one day off in seven and getting away from work. And it's one of those things that right now you're going, yeah, I know I need to do that, Thomas and Jim, but why don't I do it? It, it comes from intentionality. In other words, we feel like everything outside of us is controlling us. And that's just not true. We have the power. We have the choice to say, you know what? No Facebook today. It's Tuesday, and Tuesday is my day where I'm not doing any social media. In fact, I'm not working. It depends on your schedule. Most people do a Sabbath day on the weekend, but it's your choice to say, I am not going to engage in email. I'm not going to engage on my phone and text. So Thomas and I are talking about taking a Sabbath off from work. We're going to challenge you to take a Sabbath off from technology. Wouldn't that be crazy? And And the world writing. And from writing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Everything. Everything. And so, okay. actually do, here's an idea. On those days off, do the things that, you know, refresh you. It might be playing your guitar. It might be going on a walk. But it's it's away from the matrix. Thomas? Yeah, a lot of people think, oh, my gosh, not working a day in seven. That's going to slow me down. I'm going to get my book <laughs> right. done one-seventh slower right. if I'm not working. And I remember when I was in middle school, whatever grade you are when you study the Oregon Trail, you know, when people got in their wagons and they traveled across the United States to get to California, <laughs> to where that's where the gold was, and a little bit to Oregon as well. Um, the uh, There was a flyer circulating in the 1850s that said, if you will rest one day in seven, you will get to Oregon one month sooner or two weeks sooner. I don't remember how, how much sooner. And it wasn't until I played the game Oregon Trail that I realized just how true that is. Because getting to Oregon and being slowed down has nothing to do with how fast you're going on the days you're moving. And it has everything to do with how many days you have to stop because somebody got typhoid or somebody broke their leg or someone wandered off or got bit by a snake. And there's all these things that can happen bad. And a lot of the chances of those increase in the game the more tired you are and the more fatigued your party is. And there's a lot to be said about the writing that you do when your mind is rested is going to, especially when you're disciplining to work the six days. You can't. This only works if it's one and seven. Uh, If you're disciplining in this during those six, you're so much refreshed on that day off that then you're able to actually write faster by resting one day and seven. Love it. All right. Number three, Thomas, hit us. Study time management and time discipline. So uh, get, there's a lot of great books on time management. I'm a big fan of uh, Dave Allen's Getting Things Done. It's a book you probably heard recommended on other podcasts. Um, Jim and I have also started using this system called Kanban, uh, which is an agile project management methodology uh, that we're not doing an episode on right now. We might do one in the future if y'all are interested. Um, but it's there are all kinds of ways of disciplining your time and managing your time. And in many, it often it doesn't really matter what 
you pick, as long as you pick something that works for you. And what's nice about getting things done is it's a very flexible system that you can adapt to fit your lifestyle. But the reality is, is that if you want to be more disciplined, uh, creating a budget for your time and deciding ahead of time what you're going to spend your time on can really help. And this may just be as simple as getting a calendar like Google Calendar and scheduling writing from seven to eight every morning, something like that. I'll throw one more quick mention of a time management system that I discovered about three years ago through one of our mastermind partners, and that is the Pomodoro uh, time management. And essentially, just to boil it down for you, it is taking mini Sabbaths all the time. So I used to have this idea of you just grind it out for I got I got to write, I got to get this book done. So I'm going to grind it out for two and a half hours straight. And I thought that was the way to do it really focus. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to work hard for 20 or 25 minutes. You'll find your own rhythm. And then you take actually five minutes off where you walk outside and you walk around and you touch some plants and then you come back inside and start in again, do another 25 minutes. Um, we won't go into the, uh, a lot of detail right now, but we encourage you to look that up because that is a way to refresh you even in, uh, even in the moment. Uh, the fourth one is to experiment with a media fast. Um, we, so we already talked about this a little bit in the Sabbath, but this is particularly important, I think, for novelists. Uh, it's very easy for novelists to spend a lot of time watching television and movies and reading other people's books and basically getting lost in other people's stories. And that's really important. We're not saying don't do that uh, because you can learn a lot from the stories that other people are writing. But you may find that if you fast for a day of media and you're not engaging with anyone else's stories, that suddenly your own sto- your own characters in your head start shouting at you scenes and start shouting at you plot lines and um, things that were kind of muffled because they were so drowned out by other people's stories are suddenly crystal clear. And it, you may find that this helps give you the energy to stay more disciplined. It, Thomas, is, you're so right on that. And, and, and what Thomas is saying is don't watch TV. Don't it, watch that drama. Don't no media input, no news, no stories, no movies, all that. If you, if you fast from that, if you stay away from that, the ideas that will come to you will surprise you because we're overloaded. We have this idea of, well, I'm going to relax tonight and I'm going to binge on a couple hours of TV. I love TV. I love TV shows, so I'm not against that. But as a creator of story, you are not relaxing. <laughs> Your mind is going, okay, I would have done that different. Oh, here comes this. this. You're working. So we encourage you just to take, take a uh, day off of work. That's right. Um, okay, the next idea is the easiest one on this list, except that's a lie. <laughs> this is not an easy one. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, the tip we're talking about, study time management. You got to read a book. You got to learn a system. It's really useful, but it's, you know, somewhat, somewhat complicated. This, super simple, but you're not going to like it. And it is, you need to go to bed earlier. <laughs> no! So this is this is number five, and it's also number six because it's just that important. Although these are a little bit different. Uh, yeah. Number or tip number five is to go to bed earlier, and tip number six is to get enough sleep. Jim, why is this important? Well, if you do not get enough sleep, and not only get enough sleep, but get the right quality of sleep, essentially, if you do not do this, it becomes a carcinogen in your system. 
What I mean by this is if you do not get the right amount of sleep at the right time, you are doing irreparable damage to your body and your brain, and you just cannot function like this. If I said, hey, eat Twinkies for the, for the next you know 10 years and nothing but Twinkies, you'd go gym every now and then. It's kind of okay to indulge my sweet tooth, but that would just wreck my body. Well, guess what? Same thing going on with your sleep. There's a great book that I just read called Sleep Smarter, and it's all about the reality that if you don't get the right kind of sleep, you are not going to be able to function, certainly as a novelist and not in life. And and we get bombarded, right? We are in an age of technology where we are getting, you've probably heard about this, we're getting this blue light. We are on our laptops, we're on our phones, we're on our iPads, we're, we're getting this technology blaring in our brains all day long. And, and what do we do at night? We get it until right before we go to sleep. Well, science tells us that you cannot sleep well if you've bombarded your, stu- your, your, your mind with that right up into the time of sleep. Also, there's a lot to be said about the connection with sweet sleep and willpower. So when are you more likely to eat foods you're not supposed to eat? Oh, First in, the thing morning, in the morning, definitely. <laughs> yeah, or or late at night. It's always at night, yeah. 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 When, when are you more likely to drink something? You, you know, Are you going to be you know, drinking a little bit too much alcohol in the morning? No, you have lots of willpower in the morning. You know, When are you uh, more going to, it's easier to work out? You know, all these things, morning, 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 every time. And the reality is, is that, Willpower is like a muscle, and and with any muscle, the more you work it, the stronger it gets, which is, again, the whole idea of six days and seven. If you're working at something six days and seven, you'll get better at that thing. Your willpower will get better. But also, just like a muscle, it gets fatigued, and you have to rest it. Right. And so at the end of the day, you have less willpower. It's one of the reasons in my book, dating book, I re- recommend that young couples— Go home early. <laughs> Don't stay out too late. It's, it was a really good advice by, that our grandparents, you know, had. And the reason was is that you're more likely to fall into temptation late at night. And so getting enough sleep and waking up early, you're going to find that your mind is rested. You've got the willpower to force yourself, force yourself to write. And also your mind will be rested so you'll be a little bit more creative. And so getting going to bed earlier is the best way to get enough sleep. Now let's talk about number seven. Practice. What is number seven, Jim? Well, it's it's finding ways, and this is going to be different for everybody, but it's finding ways to practice discipline in the little tiny things, in the mo- in the little moments. And and one of the things I do is I had a friend, um, who friend of a friend, who did a stunt on TV and it went horribly wrong, and he ended up getting paralyzed from the neck down. And I was thinking about him one day, and when he's by himself, I mean, he has somebody that cares for him, but when he's by himself and his face starts to itch, what does he do? No choice. He cannot scratch that itch because uh, he, he, he cannot move from the neck down. And I thought, what if I started doing that? What if I started playing with this idea of disciplining myself not to immediately itch my face? And at first I did it to feel some of the things he's feeling. But then I realized there's a discipline in saying, nope. Nope, you're not gonna you're not gonna scratch that. You're gonna wait until it goes away, and that's just a little discipline that I do that then extends into other areas of my life. So I encourage you to find little ways to discipline yourself in every moment. Also, connecting disciplines together into daily rhythms. One of the things I found when because I had a lot of weight to lose, I was pretty unhealthy last year, 
at the beginning of last year. And one of the things I found is that of people who lose weight and keep it off, there's one discipline they almost all do, and that is weighing themselves every day. Mm. <laughs> as long as you weigh yourself every day, that's the discipline. It's like the first button on the shirt, and all the other buttons line up after that. You are so much more motivated to eat right during that day when you weigh yourself. You're more motivated to work out, et cetera, et cetera. And so putting together rhythms of your life, little you know patterns where all you have to do is start the next thing, and then the next thing happens that's after good. that. So you, know, you go and you, wash your, you wake up, you wash your face, and then you sit down and you write your computer, whatever it is. It's like once you've splashed that water in your face, you're triggering this whole pattern of rhythms and those disciplines build the strength to be more disciplined as a person moving forward. All right. All right number eight is find an accountability partner. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's funny because we do this, we don't think about it uh, in um, a lot of areas of our life and some areas of our life, we do think about it, but getting the right accountability, accountability partner can, can change your life. It really can. And it's also very motivating if you, you know, you set a goal. It's like, hey, Jim, my goal is to write 10,000 words in the next two weeks. And he's going to follow up with me. And it's like, so did you write those 2,000 words? And I was like, uh, yes. Or yes, I did. And we high five. And now we've encouraged each other. Now we yeah. want to do it again. And there's something about saying it out loud. And there's something about even more about saying it out loud to another person where they can hold you accountable. And here's the cool thing about an accountability partner. They don't have to be another writer. Right. In fact, in some ways, it may be better if it's not another writer, because another writer will be like, oh, it's okay. I know how hard it I is. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, you need somebody who's like, hey, get get your posterior in line. You need to sit down and write. <laughs> put put your butt in the chair and type on the keyboard. <laughs> and and they're, you know, obviously they need to be nice to you, but they also, you know, kind of keep you accountable. And maybe you're keeping them accountable about not spending too much or they're working on some other area of discipline in their life. They're maybe wanting to have a quiet time or some sort of meditation in the morning. And so... It, it, the idea here is that we are um, not like cats. We are like dogs. We are communal creatures. You put a human by themselves, even a writer, uh, alone for too long and they will shrivel up. In fact, a good friend of mine has been alone too long and he's shriveled up inside and it's really sad. And so we're trying to connect him into community more. And we don't want this to happen to you. You will be more disciplined if you're in a group of accountability or at least one other person is helping keep you accountable. And maybe you're helping keep them accountable as well. Number nine is make not meeting your goals extremely painful. And this can tie into your accountability partner where, and I actually, I'll give you an example from my own life. When I was first starting out writing novels, I had a critique group. This is before I was published. And I had a critique group of four other writers. So there were five of us. And we made a deal where we'd meet on the phone every two weeks. And we made a deal with each other. We gave a word count that we would hit by the t next time we met. If you did not hit the word count, you owed $50. Not $50 split between the other four people. No, you owed $50 to each person. So very suddenly, the pain of writing a check for $50 to four other people became this motivator where I sometimes I'd be up till, you know, I'm looking at the clock. It's like, okay, it's almost midnight. As long as I get it done before midnight, I'm good. And it, it I, I got to tell you, it really helped my writing because I was committed to it. Yeah, I did this once too. I remember PayPaling everyone in my mastermind group 20 bucks because <laughs> I a goal that I had set for myself. And it, and it really is, I mean, are, do you want to be a writer or not? 
you know, a writer is somebody who writes and having some consequences sometimes. Some people respond better to the carrot. Some people respond better to the stick. If this freaks you out and this would take the joy out of writing and you feel yeah, like you're just trying to not pay the penalty, don't use this tip. There's a lot of other tips here. Do the Seinfeld method. You know, go to bed earlier. You know, get an accountability partner who will encourage you with friendliness and, you know, love and kisses. <laughs> you don't have to uh, do this. But for certain personality types, this will very much work. In fact, I use this for a friend of mine. She was uh, wanting to graduate from college and she needed to take two CLEP tests so she didn't have to do a whole nother semester of school. It's going to save her fortune, but she was very afraid to take these CLEP tests. And she was, it's her final year, her senior year. And I was like, okay, give me two $100 bills. And when you take each test, I'll give you one of the $100 bills back. And it was so effective. She ended up taking the test. She graduated. We had our graduation parties together and it was, it, it was what she needed. And, and I was like, and if you don't, I'm going to, I don't remember what I said I'd do with the money. Maybe I'd keep it or give it away or something. But that wasn't the point. The point was she wanted to get those $100 bills back. And to do that, she had to take the CLEP test. Oh, I love it. Okay. We got one more tip for you and then we'll let you go. And that is to put my book progress on your website and update it as you're going along. The, the, my book progress is an app that Thomas and his company developed to I mean, the, the name says it all, to, to track your progress. The great thing about this app is the price, very, very inexpensive. What's the price right now, Thomas? It's free. So, oh, yeah. that's a great price. <laughs> the free plugin for your website that allows you, it basically, it's a lot of what I've learned about motivation built into a plugin where you can be stay motivated, track your progress, and show your progress off on social media, on your website, and grow your email list. So there's a big, you know, subscribe button near the progress bar. So it's like, hey, your people are watching your progress in the book and they want to find out when it's ready. They can subscribe. It's one of the, it's the number two reason people come to your website is to check the progress on your book. And most author websites have no progress bar. But we didn't just put a progress bar. We also put all of this motivation and encouragement. Little Sir Walter guy will give you little witty encouragements and there's fireworks every time you enter. And uh, it's a fun thing. It's a free thing. We encourage you to check it out. Mybookprogress.com. All right, this episode of the Novel Novel Marketing Podcast has been brought to you by the Novel Marketing Five-Year Plan to Becoming a Best-Selling Author. Yeah, this uh, what we've been talking about here is actually um, inspired from that course. Uh, so a lot of the material in the course is exclusive to the course. It's the only place to get it. But if you wish we came out with the episodes more often and wish there was more content, well, we have a whole lot of content for you. There's five, six, seven episodes or sessions in each year. And we walk you through from start to finish how to become a best-selling author. Now, this is not the easy path. This is not the how to become an overnight success path. This is the five-year plan to become an overnight success path. And so if you're looking for shortcuts, this is not the thing for you. And so far, uh, we've had almost no one ask a refund. We did have one person and we we do have a, there's a 30-day, you know, get your money back refund. There's also a five-year if you do the whole five years and you're not a best-selling author, we'll give you your money back as well. And we had one person start it and you're like, I now understand what it's going to take to be successful and I'm not willing to do that much work. And he's like, thank you so much, but this isn't for me. And it's like, hey, no problem. We, we appreciated the money. honesty. It's like yeah. money back. It's like good for you because we want you to 
count the cost before you dive into this. But we've had some really great feedback from the folks who are going through this so far that's really encouraging. And if you've felt stuck, if you felt like you don't know what to do next or you don't know where to go, this is what we've created the course for you. You can listen, you know, start at the beginning and go until you feel like you're hearing things that you've never heard before. And there you'll be able to pick it up and you'll fill in the gaps of any shortcuts that you've made along the way. And for a lot of authors who become best-selling authors, it takes them 10 years uh, because the first five years are wasted <laughs> doing things the wrong way, taking shortcuts that don't work out. And whether you're wanting to go traditional or self-published or independently published, we, this plan will help you do it in a way that allows you to be successful, not just a bunch of boxes of books in the garage. Yeah, it's really a blueprint. It's really a blueprint for achieving this success. It's the kind of course I wish I'd had because it's the books you need to read. It's the type of exercises you need to do. It's really a blueprint to becoming a best-selling author. So you can just, very easy to sign up. You go to novelmarketing.com. There's a button in the far right corner. You can click on that and then you can go to our page, which gives you a lot more details than we've given you right now. We don't want to take too much time on it. But if you've struggled and wanted to become a best-selling author and just can't quite get there, uh, this is the course that's going to take you there. Also, it really helps us make more episodes of the show. So we do appreciate oh, that too, those yeah. of you uh, who have backed. So anyway, you have been listening to James L. Rubart, who's a best-selling author, and Thomas Umstadt Jr., CEO of uh, Author Media, on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.